And we're back, and it's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. And it's always a joy for me when I can recognize local talent. And that's what we're going to do now this morning on WIP Sunday as we welcome a Philadelphia-based author, Ed Ruggiero. Ed's new book, Flame the Dead. Good morning, Ed Ruggiero. Uh, good morning. Welcome. Blame the Dead. What are we blaming them for? Uh, actually, the title comes from a line... Uh, when the investigator is thwarted, he said, well, he has to keep going because you can't blame the dead guy for getting himself killed. Okay. What was the genesis of the book for you? So uh, I've written a couple of nonfiction books, military history, uh, one of which was about the Allied invasion of Sicily in 1943. And I was fascinated by the fact that the military goes in specifically to cause chaos but then uh, somebody's got to come behind the lines and clean that up. And among those people cleaning it up are the medical people who do it by treating the bodies and uh, the military police functions who have to come in and establish law and order again. And if you imagine this zone of absolute chaos and lawlessness that is the battlefront, um, then it's a, it's a pretty big job to come in and, and restore law and order. And that's what my uh, characters, both the medical people and the military police, are, are trying to do. Give us a sense of the story, please. So the protagonist is a a former Philadelphia beat cop named Eddie Harkins, um, and he uh, joins after Pearl Harbor. He joins the Army, and because he's been a cop, they make him a military police officer, and because he does well on some aptitude tests, they make him an officer, a junior officer, and uh, he finds himself as the first on the scene at the murder of a U.S. Army surgeon at a field hospital. Um, and because he's first and, and the provost marshal who does investigations is shorthanded, he winds up doing the investigation, even though he's in over his head right from the start. Um, but once he gets on the trail, he, he is determined to do something with it because the hospital is a hotbed of leadership failures where nurses are harangued even as they're trying to do their job and uh, amidst all the, the terror and the incoming wounded. And he's not going to let it go. He's like a, he's like a dog with a bone. And he happens to run into a nurse who's also from the same neighborhood. They're from Kensington, which is where my parents are from. And, um, and she and he are able to work together a little bit to help uh, solve the original crime and uh, the ancillary crimes that they run into as well. What was there about the story, though, that attracted you? What? Yeah, it's this notion of trying to wrestle a little bit of law and order, a little bit of what's right out of just this colossal mess of everything that's wrong. As one of the characters says to uh, Eddie Harkins, he says, you know, a few miles from here at the front, hundreds of men, hundreds of good men are killed every day. And you're trying to get justice for this guy who, you know, everybody concedes was not a very good person and maybe doesn't deserve that kind of attention. Uh, Yet Eddie is self-described as a lawman. And uh, he believes in what he's doing, and he, he's trying to, trying to, as I said, carve a little bit of order out of chaos. So uh, that, that moral dilemma that he faces fascinates me. And then, of course, it's also a procedural. Um, the fact that Eddie is not a professional detective uh, you know, makes it more difficult for him, puts more obstacles in his place. And then just the ongoing war uh, presents a lot of obstacles to him as well, uh, trying to dodge uh, German attacks and, and uh, all the kinds of things that go along with being in a combat zone. But certainly a big jump from military history. Well, you know, um, I wrote Combat Jump, my book about the uh, airborne portion of the invasion of Sicily. It's the first time that the Allies used, the Americans used a large airborne force. 
And uh, in the course of writing uh, that book and a book about Normandy, I interviewed probably 100 World War II veterans of the 82nd Airborne Division. And so I had all these different stories, not all of which fit into the the bigger narrative. Um, turning to fiction gave me a lot more latitude to uh, to think about well what might the, how how might those stories differ how might they fit into a fictional narrative um, so I had I had material essentially that wasn't um, it was imagine a, a box of Legos dumped on the floor uh, and I was able to put it together in in the fictional story in a way that you know wouldn't have worked in a, in a nonfiction book so it wasn't as big a departure and then of course I also served in the army uh, I've been steeped in military history I've been reading military history since I could read. Um, I went to West Point, so I was uh, steeped in it there. And um, I, I, with my years in the service, I, I know how soldiers talk, how they think, uh, what's important to them. And uh, so I, I was able to bring all that to bear uh, in a fictional story with, uh, with a lot more room to run. How did you make the jump, though, into writing fiction, or nonfiction for that matter? Well, I actually started writing fiction. Uh, my first five books were novels uh, starting in 1990 uh, when I was still in the army. And um, uh, I actually got a hand from a newly famous author named Tom Clancy, who was just coming into the public eye at the time. And when I was teaching at West Point, I invited him up uh, to talk to my class of cadets. And uh, he told my cadets, he said, you know, I waited till I was 40 to try something I always wanted to do. So don't wait that long. And um, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to be a soldier and I wanted to be a writer. And um, so I decided, well, I shouldn't wait around. Um, so I gave it a shot and was fortunate to, to land a, an agent and a contract. And um, then I turned to nonfiction um, because of I just find everyday stories compelling, uh, just talking to people and their stories. And there's always, there's always some uh, compelling aspect. If you really listen to people, uh, and, and especially if you ask questions of people, you ask good questions, uh, people people want to share with you. I um, I got started writing about the paratroopers after meeting one of these fellows, um, the guy who had graduated from West Point in 1941, and he and I got to talking. Uh, he participated in the uh, airborne invasions of Sicily in uh, July of 43, of, of the mainland of Italy in September of 43, of uh, France in uh, June of 44, of uh, Holland in uh, September of 44, then the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, this guy had he had you know he'd been a couple places and done a couple things, and I was just totally fascinated by the story and, and wanted to write about it. In particular, how you get a group of citizen soldiers. You know, most of these men were were not professional soldiers. Uh, how you put them together in a team very very rapidly to get them to perform at the highest level uh, and accomplish their mission even when things go wrong, which is what the paratroopers did. So once I I sat down with Jack Norton. Um, this is way back in 1998. I was just hooked by this story and, and um, wanted to keep telling the story and, and keep telling the stories now in, in fictional form. How did the services, though, react to your making the jump into writing? I'm sorry, how did the services react to your making the jump into writing? Oh, at the time when I was in the service? Uh-huh. Uh, I, well, at the time I was teaching English at West Point, so I was teaching composition. Um, you know, most of the faculty at West Point is uh, made up of instructors with master's degrees who come in for a short period of time, uh, three years. And this way, the cadets are constantly exposed to somebody who's been in the force recently. And um, I went to my boss, the head of the English department, and I asked him, 
and it's not, I wasn't using, I wasn't using my regular work hours. I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to write. Um, he said, you're a writing teacher. You should be writing. So that was, that was about as supportive as you could be. Uh, so yeah. You must've been awful tired in that classroom though. Well, I was, uh, I was young <laughs> and, you know, being in the army is uh, a lot about getting up early and working hard and staying up late. And, um, you know, that was when I could do it. And I could probably, I think my memory is that I could do that four mornings a week. Uh, I had two little children at the time. And then by Thursday I was, I was pretty beat and would go to bed early. And, um, you know, once again, there's, you could do a lot of that when you're, uh, when you're a young person. Absolutely. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. We're talking with local author Ed Ruggiero, his new book, A Piece of Fiction, Blame the Dead. We'll be right back after these messages. Two years removed from their magical championship run. Do the Eagles hold on to the pieces that establish the new norm? Or do they bring in players who are looking for their first trophy? It's 94 WIP's Birds Town Hall at McGurk's in Horsham. Join your favorite WIP hosts, Eagles experts, and special guests appearing on each other's shows throughout the day as they debate how the Eagles go from good to great this offseason. With Elliot Shore Parks managing his many cell phones at the free agency desk. The 94 WIP Birdstown Hall. Completely out of order. I know, and you're out of order. On the first day of free agency, Monday, March 16th, at McGurk's in Horsham from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sponsored by NovaCare, the power of physical therapy. You never know when a stroke or brain injury may occur, but you can be prepared by getting to know Bancroft Neuro Rehab, where a team of brain injury rehabilitation specialists help every person overcome physical, functional, and cognitive deficits and get back to their life. Bancroft Neuro Rehab, rebound, recover, reconnect. Learn more at bnrinfo.org. Eric's IRS troubles were nasty. I had 10 years of unpaid tax returns. I owed a ton of money in taxes. You know, I started getting letters. And unbelievably complex. Things that are written in the tax code are so complicated that if you don't pay a tax professional to do your taxes, you're going to screw up. This was such a complex problem, I did not think anybody could solve it. Eric's whole life was about to go down the drain, so he called Optima Tax Relief. Optima was able to make sense out of a huge disaster, and Optima stopped it. To say the least, Eric was very relieved. <laughs> <laughs> they got me out of hot water, that's for sure. Optima saved me a boatload of money and got me out of a horribly complex situation. It's a huge relief and a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Got a nasty, confusing tax problem? Do what Eric did and call Optima right now for a free consultation. Call 800-730-6675. 800-730-6675. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Help improve the quality of life for those affected by cancer at the Headstrong Foundation's 10th Annual Limelight Gala, Friday, March 20th, 7 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. at V by Chescafee. Reserve your ticket now at Headstrong.org. You're in charge of hiring, and Indeed has solutions, like online skills tests, which let a candidate show that they're the right hire. And we'll give you this barbershop quartet who'll sing the name of the perfect hire. Vince Lundy. Vince Lundy. Vince Lundy. Vince Lundy. Okay, there's no quartet. But skills tests, that's a for sure. See why independent research by Silk Road shows Indeed delivers three times more hires than any other job site. Visit Indeed.com slash promo today and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. 
Let's face it, mornings are tough. Whether you're clocking out, just waking up, making lunches, or preparing to take on a morning commute, we get it. I'm we NBC 10's Vice Sikahema. I'm NBC 10's Tracy Davidson. And I'm Lucy Bustamante. Every morning, you can count on us. For breaking news from overnight. Your first alert neighborhood forecast. Plus traffic updates on the roads and rails. NBC 10 News Today, every weekday morning, 4 to 7 a.m. Count on it. You're nervous. I get it. The Way Back is the first great movie of the year. The truth is, they got more talent than we do. Ben Affleck will move you. Because they haven't been through what we've been through. They don't know what it's like to get knocked down and have to get back up again. It's the ultimate comeback story. They don't know what it is to fight. You will leave the theater inspired. The Way Back, rated R. Under 17, not permitted without a parent. Now playing. Wendy's has been showing everyone how to do fast food right for 50 years. And now they're showing them how two for fives are done with Wendy's two for five. It's the only one where you can get Wendy's fresh, never frozen beef and that Wendy's spicy chicken you crave. Pick two for five bucks. Choose between the juicy Dave single, the tasty spicy chicken sandwich, 10 piece crispy or spicy nuggets. Come in today and taste how a real two for five is done. Only at Wendy's. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska and Canada. Price and participation may vary for a limited time only. The only place for Sixers fans in Philadelphia. Sports Radio 94 WIP. And we're back on WIP Sunday with Ed Ruggiero. His new novel, Blame the Dead. My name's Peter Solomon. Ed, is this the start of a series or is it going to stand alone? It is the start of a series. I'm calling the series Victory in Europe. And uh, I plan to follow Eddie throughout... uh, the remainder of the war and probably into post-war Europe. Uh, the book I'm finishing now, the second in the series, is called uh, Comes the War, and it finds uh, Eddie Harkins in London in the spring of 1944 when million, million and a half GIs are crowded onto this uh, small island nation and getting ready like a coiled spring to launch to the continent. So a lot of tension, a lot of uh, opportunity for things to go bad. And we have to wait for the new book to find out if, in fact, they do. Um, <laughs> if you weren't writing, what would you be doing? Well, I also have a business where I uh, take executive teams to uh, Gettysburg and Normandy and use the history uh, to teach leadership, to talk about leadership. So I am essentially a storyteller is what I do. So, for instance, uh, in the spring, I'll start taking groups out to Gettysburg. The history is just a launch point for discussions of why some organizations succeed, why some fail, um, you know, how you prepare junior leaders to take responsibility, how you communicate, how you inspire. And those are a lot of fun. We're outdoors. We're moving around. I get to indulge my love of history. Um, for a lot of the executives, you know, they don't, they don't have to be history nerds by any stretch of the imagination. But the stories are so compelling that once they're out there, um, it, they really, it really catches on. And there's also an emotional component, I think, to being at a place like Gettysburg or Normandy um, that, that helps people open up. And um, even people who profess, you know, somebody on a team might profess to actively dislike history because of some teacher they had at some point. Um, they usually come around and are able to learn uh, a thing or two, which is great fun. Any plans to write anything else besides military crime-solving books? Uh, not at the moment. My, my plate is quite full. I'm having a great time. Uh, I teamed up with a terrific team at uh, Forge uh, Publishers up in New York and um, 
for uh, for the moment. This is this is what I see on the horizon, but never say never. I mean, I've I've written um, nonfiction books about leadership and organizations, and so I've I've had my hand in a couple of different places. But right now, I'm enjoying the ride with uh, Eddie Harkins and Kathleen Donnelly and the gang. Any nibbles from Hollywood? Big screen, small screen? Well, just just keep talking. Somebody's bound to hear you. <laughs> that would that would be wonderful. Well, who would play Eddie Harkins if you got cast? You know, I, somebody somebody asked me that question the other day in an interview, and uh, the person who came to mind is actually he's a little bit older than Eddie Harkins. Is a guy named Ben Foster who played the uh, lunatic brother in uh, Hell or High Water, opposite Chris Pine. Um, he's he was nominated for Academy Award. He's he's terrific. I think Saoirse Ronan would be a terrific uh, Kathleen Donnelly because she's strong and feisty. And then there's another character who ends up being Eddie's driver, um, uh, an Italian American kid named Dominic Coliano. And I think uh, the young actor Timothy Chalamet uh, would do a good job uh, playing Coliano because Chalamet can really play the I might be crazy. Uh, uh, role uh, really well. Which is more important to you, though? A good review or a nice royalty check? <laughs> One leads to the other. Good reviews lead to nice royalty checks. I'm, I hope to, to ride this uh, for a while, um, you know, maybe into retirement, but uh, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm getting good reactions from Readers, that's very gratifying, and, um, you know, I hope people enjoy meeting the characters. And what do you want people to think about the world you've created in Blame the Dead? I'm sorry, think about the what? What do you want people to think about the world you created in Blame the Dead? I think that uh, we have a tendency to look back, especially in World War II, as being a very simplistic time, uh, because there was such a stark contrast between the Allies and the Axis powers, especially the Nazis. Uh, but there was a, um, in fact, a Philadelphia-based professor, Paul Fussell, um, who was wounded as an infantry soldier in World War II and later wrote uh, a number of books uh, about his experience. And he said, you know, we, we have this tendency to, to Disneyfy uh, World War II to make it seem very simplistic. And um, my, I think my role as a writer is to pay homage to the sacrifice and selflessness of the overwhelming number of GIs without ever critifying the war, making it seem like, well, you know, everybody on one side was perfect and everybody on the other side was evil. It's, it's not quite that straightforward. Um, you know, there were over 90 GIs were executed by hanging and firing squad for various crimes they committed in North Africa and the European theater. So clearly not everybody was, you know, in an army of 8 million people, you're going to get a couple of bad apples. Um, so I, I don't ever want to glorify war or, or prettify it too much because, you know, you get into trouble that way. And uh, at the same time, want to point out that, yeah, the vast majority of GIs did their jobs and just wanted to get home to their families. Even so, they were indeed the greatest generation. You know, of the hundred or so paratroopers that I interviewed uh, for my two nonfiction books, every single one of them eschewed that, uh, that name. They, they said, look, I was just a kid. I just wanted to do my duty and, uh, you know, and, and make it home to my family. They wanted to do what was right. Uh, and I'm not sure they, they saw themselves that way. That's a terrific title and a terrific handle. And, and hats off to Tom Brokaw for, for coming up with it. Um, but, um, you know, a survey done by, I think, Life magazine in 1940 talked about how unreliable 
uh, young people were, and you know, they were too focused on going to the movies and drinking Coca-Cola and reading books and magazines, and they were never going to amount to anything. And of course, that's the generation that won World War II. So I, I think this notion of, you know, we're always putting down the younger generation and, and glorifying some other generation. Uh, we have to take all that with a grain of salt. Sounds like, well, that was written in 1942. It could have been written about kids today. Yes, yes. In fact, a friend of mine was giving a talk last night to some young uh, soldiers, and he was going to talk about that because young people hear this all the time. Oh, you know, you're you're never going to measure up. And he was going to use that uh, quotation and then spring on them that, yeah, this was a uh, this was something that came from 1940. So, yeah, we've always been saying this kind of stuff. Well, when should we look for the next one, Dad? Well, it's due in my editor's desk on April the 1st, so sometime in 2021. Well, we'll be looking forward to the next book by Edward Ruggiero, currently author of Blame the Dead. It's an adventure in World War II, but it's readable, and I don't think it's too bloody, is it, Ed? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, the idea is not to be too gruesome. It's meant to be um, emotional, uh, but, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a slasher film. Not a slasher film? Or not um, that other film by Mr. Spielberg, where we saw a lot of blood and guts. Well, that is part and parcel of what they're up to. And after all, it does take place in a hospital. Um, So, yeah. And I'd like to say thank you to Edward Giorgio. It's been a delightful interview. And I'm so proud to have somebody from the Delaware Valley publish a book and be here with us this morning on 94 WIP. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And it's been another edition of WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Always interesting and provocative discussion in the living room. Your opinions, Sunny's reactions, I know I'll be listening. And folks, when I suggest maybe you want to talk to me about things like coronavirus or the political scene, let's talk. Um, I want this to be your show, just not mine and the guests. But I want you to be the guest, too, and tell me what you're thinking. Help me take the temperature of the Delaware Valley. All this and more coming up here on 94 WIP. If we won't see you again until next Sunday, see you soon.